0: Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. We are here to shift the paradigm of business and marketing and social media in this digital age of infinite possibility and bridge our inner technology, our intuition, with outer technology through rituals, personal development tools, conscious business practices, spiritual tools, and the magical tool of social media. I am your host, Xenia, a storyteller, conscious social media teacher, speaker, and a multidimensional traveler. Welcome to The New Paradigm. My guest today is Dr. Pooja Amy Shah. She's a licensed and dual board certified physician in integrative medicine and family medicine. She has studied medical acupuncture at Harvard Medical School, contemplative psychotherapy at Nalanda Institute, mind-body medicine at Harvard University's Benson Henry Institute, and she's also a yoga teacher through Cooley Yoga Project New York. Dr. Shah has a private integrative medicine practice near Medicine Square Park, and she also works as an assistant professor of medicine at Columbia University. She skillfully blends Eastern medical traditions and standard Western allopathic care, both directly to her patients as well as through online courses and workshops. I got connected with Dr. Pooja Amy Shah through a mutual friend. And years ago, we did an exchange where I offered some social media strategy support and digital attunement. And I received some acupuncture from Dr. and it was incredible. It was so magical. I mentioned it more in our conversation, and I'm excited about today's conversation because this is the future of medicine. We talk about the power of plant medicine, meta meditation, everyday rituals, accessing the magic within, growing up with Indian rituals and integrating them into today's life. Meditation as an antidote to anxiety, and how each one of us can contribute to elevating the level of love on the planet through really simple practices on a very practical level that actually makes a difference to both within ourselves and everything around us. As always, find all the show notes on wokeandwired.com and check out my current course offerings and workshop offerings. On conscious social media method.com. There is something very special out this month. I don't know how long it will be out for, and I'm stoked to offer it to you. Here's my guest, Dr. Pooja Amy Shah. All right, Pooja, welcome to Woken Wired. I am so excited to have you on to talk all things healing, wellness, and science, because you come from such a unique background of having a lot of both Western, Eastern training, and a lot of personal experiences in all their realms. So welcome. Let's do this. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Ksenia. So your Instagram bio, Dr. Puja Amy Shaw, I'm going to link that in the show notes, says science, healing, wellness, integrative medicine, whole healing is for you too, meditation plus yoga, acupuncture, plant power, and Columbia Youth Faculty. So that's a lot of various things. I'm curious, what is it that you actually do on a day-to-day basis? Walk us through your day, some of your rituals, and what gets you out of bed? Okay, that's a great question. So what gets me out of bed every morning
1: is sometimes my alarm. I try to wake up without it. And I always say a few gratitudes in my mind before I actually get out of bed. I think that sets the tone for my day and allows me to really start without any interruptions in that dream wake place, (laughs) that liminal space that we can be in where I think a lot of our intentions and things unfold. From there, I usually sit down right away. I might brush my teeth, but sit down on my meditation cushion and meditate for about 20 minutes. Often I'll do about five or 10 minutes worth of breath work as well. Usually that's either pranayama breathing or um, something in the Wim Hof world. And then I try to write also every morning, morning pages style, like Julia Cameron's work, you know, from the artist's way. And from there, it depends on what's going on. So I may be going to see patients at my private practice. I might be going to Columbia to see patients and teach, or I might be working on writing or other projects.
0: I love that right off the bat, you went into that liminal space because right before we started recording, you were congratulating me on my recent wedding. And as soon as you said that, I was so present to this space that I've been in for the past few weeks since we came back. It's this place of the veil being so thin and the dream world being so real and having experienced lions a few feet away from me looking into my eyes and rhinos feeding right at my feet, and elephants eating bark, and kind of this very exotic otherworld experiences of having these close interactions with animals, and now being back at the tiny cabin. As a married woman, a married human, so interesting to, in that liminal space that you mentioned, be noticing how sometimes I'm not sure at all what is real in this physical realm and what's not? And does it even matter? How beautiful.
1: How beautiful. Well, first off, congratulations on your new role in life, I should say. It's such a big deal to get married and such a large transition, such a beautiful one. Also, I can share your experiences looking into the eyes of different animals. I've also been very, been fortunate to be very up close and personal to East African animals two times in my life. And lately, I've also been communing with the birds in some ways. I've been really into bird watching, since, especially since COVID times. And I just was looking into the eyes of a hawk, no kidding, five minutes before this started. A beautiful red-tailed juvenile hawk visited us yesterday and just sat down again today on a branch and looked at me. And it was really amazing. So I hear you.
0: And that's in Brooklyn? Yep, right in (laughs) Bed-Stuy. is so cool. Yeah, I had a moment yesterday with birds too. You know, I never was into watching birds. I thought it's something that people are into. I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone. There's something so magical that really is this portal into presence. And yesterday I saw these two gray birds with orange bellies, kind of rose, coral, orange, either fighting or mating. I'm not sure, but it would be so cool to learn more about the animals and the trees of the land where I live and not just those exotic places. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that they relate so well because as we get attuned to looking at the more kind of exotic you know, animals in this world, that might pique our interest, but then even the common, quote unquote, common like dove or cardinal or blue jay can be so fascinating to watch and learn about. So it's almost like a
0: portal into
1: to your everyday life.
0: What is it like looking into Hawk's eyes? Do you present to you when that happens?
1: I feel almost a buzz through my body. It feels like magic. I don't know what else, how else to put it. There's just something so, what would be the word, not prehistoric, but this sense of, of timelessness, I think you just mentioned that, that shows up for me. And it's also a, such a reminder of the world among us is so alive and so part of us, and we've are so used to forgetting that by getting trapped in our day-to-day everything, you know, all of our little anxieties and worries and and to-dos and our to-do lists and all of those things. And to think about this, or not even think about it, but feel the kind of largeness and the, mat, you know, this kind of gargantuan beauty of our natural world and even bigger, like the universe is just so beautiful and kind of mind-blowing.
0: <laughs> it really is, but when... One is when I know when I am trapped in my daily anxieties and to-dos, I know about the existence of that magical, big, infinite universe out there. The axis seems to sometimes be just hiding behind a band-aid. So what are some of the ways or practices or rituals that you know you can always access that magical side of aliveness? I can't say that any of my practices
1: always work, right? And I think it's a matter of what space you're in mentally and how far you are away from kind of that magical space that is gonna, you know, it'll take some time to get back there, I guess you might say, if that's where you're trying to go. That's a caveat, I guess. But, you know, I think one of the simplest things is when my Breathe app on my Apple Watch rings or buzzes, I just stop whatever I'm doing. And even if I'm not following the app I will just take a moment to look around in my surroundings and just settle my energy and become present again and check in with my body. And even those micro moments through the day can be so powerful to reconnect you with those moments because maybe you'll look outside and maybe you will see that hawk and maybe that will take your breath away and it'll be this like majestic awe-inspiring moment even for a moment and that will reconnect you like that.
0: Moment by moment. Mm -hmm. I want to rewind way back to as far as you wanna go and just see how did you end up on the path that you're on now of being in many ways a, a leader and a pioneer of merging the Western medicine with the eastern medicine and other alternative approaches. What brings you here?
1: Well thanks for asking that. You know, I think I, I always knew that I wasn't your <laughs> I wasn't gonna be like this typical person. I don't know if how to describe that better. But I was like really into alternative culture when I was a younger person. And I would always joke with my brother that I was like, going to be a crystal biologist. <laughs> but you know, I <laughs> I don't know what that meant at 17. But there was something about looking beyond what was just in our purview or in our existence. And, you know, I took a year off after college, I studied anthropology, and I was a Plan two major, which is this kind of liberal arts honors program at the University of Texas at Austin, and also studied a bunch of philosophy and non-Western social theory. And that all of that world and some art history, it just like it piqued all of my interests in terms of curiosity of our world and who we are as humans and how we are. And I wasn't totally sure I wanted to be a physician and uh, took a year off and did AmeriCorps in New York. So I'm from Texas and came to Brooklyn for the first time in my life. And realized I didn't want to work behind a desk. That's what I was doing at a health center, and so I decided to apply to med school and got in and went to med school, and did all of that training. And it's a long and arduous road. And came out of it, and you know, worked as a uh, first as a hospitalist, which means a hospital doctor in during the nighttime. So I was a nocturnist for a while, and then I came to New York and joined forces at Columbia University and worked um, as a primary care physician and also in the hospital for quite a long time, for probably um, four plus years. And in that time, I just realized how much Western medicine was lacking in terms of prevention and whole healing and really getting to, to the root of problems. And unfortunately, I felt like I was just slinging drugs and telling people to get surgery and There was a point where I had so many patients who had chronic pain and we were in the midst of, and we still are, of the opioid epidemic. And I just didn't have anything to do for them. And I realized at that moment, I was like, I have to do something different. I've got to learn something that can help these people. And that's really what kicked it off. I was both burning out from the regular Western medicine, that whole world of, it's just really intense. We get so few minutes with our patients. We don't have time to really explore what's going on and how are you supposed to help anybody heal in that kind of environment? And so I really went through kind of all of the things I could possibly do to get more training and came upon acupuncture really because it was hands-on. You could do it to a patient and so you could affect change without having much buy-in, <laughs> if that makes sense. And so you could actually work with a patient even if they weren't totally ready to like make changes in their life. And so I thought that that would be a good first avenue. And the interesting thing is I, ne- I had never had acupuncture on myself and didn't really understand it or believe in it. But, you know, Harvard Medical School was offering this course for physicians and I decided to, to sign up. And so that changed my entire
0: career path. Acupuncture, something that you hadn't tried, ended up impacting your whole path. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so how did you make that decision? Was it just an intuitive gut knowing that there's something there?
1: I think there was both a gut knowing as well as, you know, I was looking at cost because, you know, medical school costs a lot of money. And I was also looking at time. And also, again, what could I learn that was like a skill that would directly affect my patients in a short amount of time instead of trying to, you know, get a bunch of labs and talk to them about, you know, changing their life in some way? Especially when you work with underserved communities, it can be really complicated because of so many psychosocial and social financial and social determinants of health. And so it's just really complicated. So um, I felt like acupuncture was this way to just like get in and do something and help. And so that was I think the ultimate reason I chose that over a different avenue, like doing an integrative medicine fellowship or something like that.
0: And I love how you describe it. It's almost to me, sounds like when you are doing acupuncture on a patient, it can sometimes forego their brain and work straight with their body systems. Exactly.
1: And there's just something so magical about touch and energy. And so I don't think I really understood or had yet tapped into that when I first started learning this stuff, but it is so incredibly powerful.
0: All right. We're going to bookmark this for a moment. I want to go back in time a little bit further. And crystal ball vision that you had as a 17-year-old, where did that come from? What were the moments in your life that awoke that part of you or maybe something you were reading your teachers do you can you pinpoint to that wow i don't know if i can pinpoint that exactly i just was always
1: i'm a, a brown girl who grew up with immigrant parents in texas in a really white community and i was very much an other person you know i was not part of that crowd and so i think all of that informed this need to understand the world better and this curiosity. And I'm also Indian. And so, you know, my life was steeped with ritual and Ayurvedic herbal healing and yoga and meditation, those types of things. So that certainly informed this as well. So I think it was a combination of both feeling like an outsider, but also having this rich heritage. And, and I think
0: curiosity is just a big part of it it's just kind of how i'm wired have you always been connected to your indian heritage and those rituals or has it been more like waves
1: oh certainly waves i think you know there's a lot of part of your childhood where if you're if you are the other you want to just push away all of that stuff and so there's a long you know there's long swaths of time in my life where i was in denial <laughs> of who i was and where i came from but i think those imprints. And also I think kind of the intergenerational imprints are always there. I think as I got older and realized just how amazing Indian culture is, I started to want to learn more and started to make connections to my childhood. Oh, that's why that happened. Or that's why
0: that's that way, that type of thing. Are there any rituals that you still use consistently or turn to consistently that come from your Indian family? Definitely. Any time I move homes or I start something new, like a new
1: business or you know something smaller, I will use. Um, we called him Ganpati, but most people call him Ganesh. I will take his form. You know, I have a figurine, and I will set intentions and say a prayer and burn something as a, an invocation to kind of opening the way
0: and taking away the obstacles to this new endeavor so beautiful i have a ganesh too on my altar from my trip to india almost 10 years ago it's one of stat those very few statues and ritual objects that i've just carried through life because it points to so much in my life and a defining trip for sure and the lineage that i've studied with yeah thank you for sharing that ritual that's beautiful what's the most recent thing that you used it for
1: So I think that might be, we had a lot of problems with floods in our houses these last year and a half or so, um, and had to move from one apartment to another to another. And I've used it with that. Oh, but most recently, because of COVID, I had to close um, this really amazing healing space that I helped open called Mindstream and uh, move offices uh, yet again. And so I think in November of 2020 is
0: when I last did that ritual. Mm. Do you know what the next thing might be coming up that you're holding space for, that you might use the ritual for? Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I don't know yet. I feel the threads of things happening, but I'm not quite sure yet. So get back to me. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Yeah. So getting back to our bookmark you quite know what would happen, but you had a powerful feeling about studying and taking that course, acupuncture. And also you so casually dropped the names of Columbia and Harvard, but I can I can't even imagine what it must take to get into, you know, universities and establishments like that. Is there anything you want to say about that? I think that it it is a it's been a long trek. <laughs> and
1: uh I think that it's really fun to be part of um, institutions that have a big name, not only because it lends you credence, but also because you have access to really amazing resources, especially libraries. Those are my favorite. (laughs) And also really amazing minds, I should say. But I should also say that. So um, my residents and students and co-faculty are all, you know, incredible people. And it's just so fun to work in that type of environment. So what happened when you took that course? So at first, I was there and just tried to soak everything else in and tried to check out my, by check out, I mean, like put aside my skeptic mind, because I just was having a hard time with my, you know, open but Western trained brain to really understand what was going on with this stuff. And honestly, I didn't really believe it for a while, for a long while, until I um, finished that course and then took advanced courses, and then also as a TA for the Harvard program, And in that process is when I started to realize that this is just an incredibly powerful tool and something that I will be utilizing and studying for the rest of my life.
0: What were you noticing that made you believe that? I was seeing patients get better.
1: I was seeing patients say, what did you do? I haven't felt like this in ever or in a really long time. I would have patients who have, you know a chronic pain in a certain part of their body and it, and it felt just completely different. and And that's how I know it's working. I give you a study, <laughs> right? And that's that's what the Western world wants is like studies and scientific inquiry in this very specific way and that double-blinded placebo-controlled trial. And unfortunately, it's really hard to study acupuncture like that although there are some papers coming out that are really often by my teachers, actually.
0: I think this is called either dotal or empirical evidence, Mm -hmm. but I have done acupuncture with you and it's magical. It's not just the acupuncture, but also the space that you hold for your patients and the physical space you create, the energetic space you create. It is totally magical. So even though this doesn't add to you know, formal placebo double blind, I can definitely confirm that that's just how it is. And thank you for doing what you do and, you know, for being this ambassador in both worlds, in the alternative world, world in the Western one, to perhaps open minds that otherwise wouldn't be open just like you did with your own. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So how does that work? Having your feet in both worlds and being part of Big institutions that might be more closed minded or hard to flexible and in the flow of what's actually happening in the world. That's just my assumptions. It might not even be true. And also part of very alternative and mystical worlds and, and circles. What is your experience with combining the two, both in the back end of how you show up in the world and, and do business, but also how you show up? when you are with your co-faculty and students and patients? Oh, such a nice question and complicated one. Um, You're right that
1: institutions tend to be uh, much more guarded about how they are approaching these worlds, Um, although we're seeing a lot of change, and that's very exciting. Um, One thing that I did was uh, I Procured some grants through the University of Arizona. Actually, you know, Dr. Andrew Weil, so his foundation, and was able to start an integrative medicine training track for my residents at Columbia. And so that's still going, and I'm still director of integrative medicine there. And that is very exciting because that was the first time to really bridge these worlds, right? Where I was in, doing all the stuff kind of on my own time and um, in my personal life. And um, being able to bring it to Columbia, where there was really um, not a lot of support around this stuff, and my program, you know, my program director and um, chair are really supportive, and that's very exciting. So it's not that across campus it's totally well received, but slowly but surely things are coming forth. Um, where you know they're, I believe they're opening a new Lyme disease center as well, and they're going to have more integrative services there at Columbia. So. You know, it's it's happening, um, but it's been really challenging. You know, I had this acupuncture training, I got licensed in it, and I was ready to bring it to my underserved patients at Columbia, and I just hit a lot of red tape and a lot of walls. And so, at some point, just was it was not sustainable to do it, and it really wasn't working. So, what I do is, as you mentioned, with the acupuncture being bringing space and your energy, you know, creating a space and bringing your energy. I think that is one of the biggest things that I can do for my patients at Columbia, where I don't have control over everything, and I try to teach my residents and students different ways of inquiry into our health that, um, in in ways that we are not just taught in allopathic medicine, and it's a more holistic way of thinking. It's also a way of bringing in different types of um, preventive care, meaning like different habit. good habit structures or um, mini breath practices or different yoga movements, um, especially with patients with chronic pain, um, into the office visit. And that's how I bridge those worlds at that practice. So it's that I get to run this track and I have a subset of residents and students that are super interested in this stuff. And then for everybody else, it's like we just kind of fuse it into that into that world, um, the patients I see and, um, and with the teaching that I do. And then on the other side of it, you know, in my private practice, I'm able to do whatever I want, which is so much fun because I can just show up and give the patient what they need or what I feel like they need. And they will tell me what they need and then we, you know, co-create, but it is such a magical thing to be able to do whatever needs to be
0: done in order to
1: help a patient heal. It's really cool.
0: (laughs) It is really cool. Yeah, I remember the crystals in your office. (laughs) Crystals and essential oils and all the things. So in your bio, you also mentioned plant power. What does that mean to you and what role has that played in healing? Oh,
1: so great. So I am a lover of plants, from gardening to working with herbal medicine to eating them. (laughs) And I just think that plant siblings in this world are as powerful. And I would say our fungus siblings um, are as powerful as the living, quote, living and breathing, you know, animate objects. Like I think animals and humans was what I mean, but I love plants and I think they are super powerful. They're super healing and we can work with them in so many ways. And so instead of being particular about what I mean, you know, that bio statement, plant power, I figured it kind of captures all of that.
0: Yeah. I've always been seeing you planting things and like moving seedlings and moving plants i always associate that with you because you're always posting it and it's just such a an authentic part of you so all of that i'm so curious about the business side of it because in today's world it's not i don't want to say it's not enough but In today's world, there are so many invitations to have a personal brand and having your own practice is like being an entrepreneur, running your own business. So how does everything that you have been learning about healing and ritual, how does that play into your business decisions, whether that's running your own practice or or being part of another healing space or startup or consulting or however else that shows up in your experience? It's a beautiful question. And a hard one, I think,
1: because I don't know if I've ever really thought about it so specifically, definitely think that my daily ritual practices, right? So especially the meditations and breath work and writing, and also working with plants, these all tie back to very beginning of our conversation where we get to touch upon this, the, the greater sense of the world. And I think that very much informs how I do business and how I come up with my ideas and what I choose to pursue, I always, I want it to feel right. It always needs to feel right. And the few times I haven't trusted my gut and done something differently, it hasn't worked out so well. And that's been really informative. And then I often don't have plans so much and I just let things unfold. But I think that's kind of the magic of our life. You know, if we plan everything, we're going to miss potentially something even more exciting. So I, of course, have to have some plans, but I try to keep it loose so that I don't get too tied to an outcome and then I can let things more just naturally unfold.
0: If we plan, we might miss something more exciting. I'm writing that down. I say my own manifestations or prayers. I'm always holding the space for what I'm envisioning or something better. And this seems like a version of it that even more within trusting the unknown and this daily surrender, which I know for some people is really scary. So how do you swim those waters of the unknown and trust that the path will unfold? I think some of it
1: is, it's kind of like, I feel like, you know, if you think about when you're hold your body too tightly and how it starts to ache, it's kind of like that. It's like when we start to hold, or when we, when we start seeing ourselves holding onto something too tightly, it starts to feel like you can't move within it. And it's that feeling that I don't like at all. <laughs> I'm kind of averse to it. And so I choose actively not to feel that way. And I think that translates directly to trusting. Although it's still hard. It's not that it's just like comes naturally and it's super easy, but I think it's a daily practice to to surrender. As you said, I love that word and to, and to continue to trust over and over. I mean, for example, there have been times in my practice where it's been very slow and there haven't been many patients. And, you know, ultimately a private practice is a business and it's scary. And in those moments, I may feel myself getting really kind of agitated or anxious about what's going on. And it's in those moments that the practice happens or the practice shows up so much more deeply because I have to remind myself to trust rather than it coming automatically. But if I do that over and over, it inevitably works out just fine. Or invariably, I should say.
0: <laughs> I know those moments and then you look back and you think, did I just really waste all of my life force energy onto worrying about this? <laughs> when deep inside I knew it was going to work out exactly how it's meant to work out. and also like think about all the time that you've wasted
1: that you could have been working on an amazing writing project or art project or whatever. And instead you were just worried. So you wasted that energy. So totally.
0: (laughs) So how does social media play into the work that you do and what's your relationship with it? So I find social media so fascinating because on one hand I
1: can connect to so many amazing people, both people I know and people I don't know And that feels magical. For example, I found out about a watercolor and painting store in San Francisco called Case for Making that I started taking classes with. And then I met or someone in that class said, oh, I have this extra paint. Does anyone want a little pan of this color? And I told her, oh, I would love a pan of that. And so just yesterday, I opened my mailbox and here is this little pan of green, beautiful emerald green paint. And it happens that this person lives like not very far from me. So she's technically almost a neighbor. That's the magic of social media. It's like, how did that happen? It felt like kind of out of this world, you know, it was like having a pen pal that I don't even know that I met through a class that I learned from social media. And we were sharing something on, you know, we were sharing pictures on social media, tagging this, this group. It was all very, very interesting
0: and kind of interconnected in that grander way. I love that so much. I think those miraculous connections are always there. And it's like when you're watching a movie and there's all these plot lines crossing. I love those kinds of movies. You know that as a viewer, you're seeing them, but if you were in the movie, you wouldn't necessarily know. It's kind of like that. That's always happening, but social media gives us access to actually shining the light on it and being present to those miracles.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also really fun to be able to share your day-to-day life if you you know look at my social media account, it's not curated in any particular way, <laughs> except that I sometimes drop blog um, you know writings and will put those down. But most of it, I'd say the majority of my instagram is is just my life. And I love to share that with people and both my friends and those that I don't know and and then connect over that. I've gotten so many interesting, I've had so many interesting conversations with people, even if they're brief regarding broccoli sprouts or (laughs) matcha tea, which I know we both love or, you know, meditation
0: and all sorts of things. And so it's really fun that way. Meditation. How did you get into meditation? Was that something that you practice with your family or, or when did you really connect to that?
1: I think that I'd read some books in college during these studies in philosophy and non-Western social theory and that sort of thing. And I started meditating then, but I didn't realize that I was doing it. I didn't have a teacher and I didn't really follow with any group. And so I didn't realize that like sitting down and just letting your mind wander is not really meditation. (laughs) And I think I did that for a really long time, like through my first many years at Columbia even. After I studied acupuncture and did all of those advanced trainings and stuff, I decided to study contemplative psychotherapy, which is the marriage of Western psychotherapy with Buddhist philosophy, mind philosophy, basically, and and Buddhist meditation. And so I took that course. It was a two-year course at Nalanda Institute here in New York. And that changed and shifted kind of everything in the way that I practiced and what I understood about meditation. And I just was able to dive really deep and deep in my personal practice. And I still uh, work with a mentor every month who is of a Buddhist lineage, and I read books, tons and tons of books, and just keep practicing. And so that did not really come from my childhood, but it was something that piqued my curiosity very early on. And I knew that I struggled with so much anxiety and depression as a youngster, and it was just, I knew that it could be an antidote or at least one of the antidotes to this way that I was feeling so often, and I was finally able to properly learn how to do
0: it, and it truly was very useful for me. What is it about specifically Buddhist meditation that speaks to you, and can you also define it? How is it different from other types of meditation? So, I mean, so meditation
1: comes from the East and it's part of Hindu philosophy as well as Buddhism and Buddhism is a stem, you know, stemmed from Hinduism. And, you know, the Buddha did find enlightenment through this, you know, it's probably too much to get into, but you can read about that. But what I love so much about Buddhist meditation in particular is that it doesn't just talk about mindfulness or meditation for the sake of meditation, but it's really marrying also wisdom and how to live your life in a way that is going to be deeply kind and compassionate. And maybe even, you know, with the intention of freeing everyone on the planet from suffering. And I think that that part of it, the idea of wanting the freedom of not just myself, but everyone else is what really attracted me to it. And it helped me to feel almost like I had, it gave me a reason for living, if that makes any sense, really provided a direction for me. Wow, that
0: is uh, really powerful. I wonder, how does it show up in your daily life? Because it's one thing to understand those deep, profound concepts on a conceptual and theoretical level. How does that come into your daily life when you're interacting with people and riding the subway and wearing a mask and all the things?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I it comes up with everything. It's a way that I choose to live my life where I'm really thinking about not just myself, but also the other. And I want what's best for not just myself, or for, but for both of us or for all of us. And so, you know, there's a practice called metta, which is loving kindness. And some days I will just give, you know, not out loud, but in my mind, metta to different people on the train or while walking especially if I see someone in a bad place, you can just see it on their face. Or if I'm in a bad place, and then I will be able to give loving kindness to others. I think it informs everything I do. It informs my practice with my patients, how I teach, how I am with my loved ones and my friends and my partner and my dog and <laughs> just everybody. And I'm not a saint and I'm not perfect. And there's n- I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that I utilize this, way of being or this philosophy, I guess you could call it, to inform how I approach everything I do in my life. And it's so amazing because I think there's a resonance that of love and of kindness and of compassion, of empathy that carries with me. And so even when things aren't really hard, there is this like
0: piece of softness within it all, even if it's like really hard. If you were to encapsulate all of that into one message, mm-hmm. what would it be if you could just share one message with the world? I think this is really trite,
1: maybe, like very just like cliche, but I really believe love conquers all.
0: What does that mean to you?
1: I think one of the highest highest vibrations we can offer ourselves and to one another is love. And I think if we realize that we're not all separate like we, yes, we live separate lives and we don't know each other. But if we realize that we all share this beautiful biosphere and we all share these environments, we all share the resources on this planet and we're just all interconnected. And so if we were all even a little bit more loving to one another, to strangers and people we know alike, I think this world would just be an incredible place. I mean, it already is, but it would be, it'd be probably less strife and less of all the things we see that are really, really hard right now. And there's a lot of it right now. And there has
0: been. I think it's only cliche if it's only words, but when there's even the smallest amount of intention and thought behind it, that's what makes it real and gives it power. And I know exactly what you're talking about because in South Africa, I had a healing experience where I was given the guidance to embody the frequency of love. And when it's just words, it's like, okay, cool. Who doesn't want to be the frequency of love? But the experience that came with it of this whole wave moving through my body and just shifting my cells and shifting my whole being was profound, that I, I know what you're pointing to and we'll experience it in a different way. And I'm present to the beauty of it when I'm looking at the birds in my backyard. But how do you connect to love conquers all when you see people being mean to each other or someone cuts you in the line or elbows you on the subway? How? how? <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I mean, sometimes it's really, really hard. So I think the little things like somebody cuts you in line or whatever, my assumption is always that they must be hurting more than I am and for them to act in a way that is either aggressive or selfish or whatever. And so I just kind of let it be and I don't really worry about it. And I figure that things are going to be fine, even if I'm in a rush, you know, it's okay. And I think for the bigger things, I don't really have a good answer for you yet. (laughs) Like I get pretty angry at, you know, very upset and very emotional about what's happening with gun violence in this country and with the violence against other, quote unquote, other, right? Our Asian American sibs and our black sibs and all the transgender sibs, just everybody who's been preyed upon. And I don't have an answer for the big problems, honestly. But what I do know is that if each of us focused more on healing ourselves and our own pains and our own suffer, like what we suffer from, then- it is more likely that we're going to act in ways that are loving and kind to others. And in that way, love can conquer all.
0: That was beautiful. And you say you don't have an answer? <laughs> that is it right there. It sounds simple, but it's in the profoundness of us all actually taking the responsibility and acting from that and st- staying in our sovereignty believing that even when the outside world doesn't agree so that's going to be a quote that goes wide and far i'm going to make sure as many people as possible see it it's such a powerful reminder and with that i'm to ask you puja being who you are and doing what you do and all the studying that you're continuing and your personal practices and rituals and what you bring to your clients you are embodying the new paradigm of what medicine does look like and will look like so what else is in that new paradigm And what kind of vision do you have for the future of medicine? Oh, wow. Okay. Thank you.
1: I think that the new paradigm of medicine is true healthcare rather than sick care, where we are just trying to wipe up messes and put Band-Aids on things that are already broken. I think that the future of medicine is access to care, to real care, like this kind of real healthcare, not just if you can afford it, but for everybody. I also think that I see it being much more personalized, right? So personalized medicine where it's not just a protocol and you slap it on and it's supposed to fit you, but that you get to work with somebody who's really asking you about your life and what's happening and fitting a treatment plan just for you. And I also see it being, you know, we have all this new wearable tech that's really awesome. There are new ways of investigating your... Genetics and your blood work and all sorts of things. So that's really exciting. And I also think this resurgence of meditation, mind body medicine, working with the breath, plant medicine like, I think all of these things are a huge part also of the evolution of medicine.
0: What role do you think psychedelics will
1: play in it? I think that it's going to be, or it's already happening where I think psychedelics are going to be very useful for for us to investigate and learn more about who we are, how we're connected to the earth and each other, and also to learn more about the traumas that we carry that actually inform our day-to-day ways of being. And I think that's going to help to heal us. And so it's just another avenue, not just another, I shouldn't say it like that, but it's another avenue towards figuring out who we really are in our true light as a human being because I think every one of us has a light and I don't think any one life is better than another. So that equanimity that the Buddhist meditation has taught me that I think plant medicine will help us to kind of um, expose or (laughs) to learn about.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Here for all of it. Are there any (laughs) resources or teachers or books that have been influential that you feel called to share?
1: Yeah. um, I just finished, or not that long, I've been revisiting it, but a book called Breath by James Nestor. I really like that because it's it's an investigation, not by a scientist, but by a journalist into breath and how just vitally important it is and how it can inform everything we do. I also recently just picked up again, Kristen Neff's book, Self-Compassion, I think I've been doing a lot of healing these last few months. I think winter and COVID stuff and just a lot of changes in my life have brought up some old wounds and I've been reworking with those. And there's nothing like self-compassion to help you to work with yourself and what's going on in a more gentle and kind way, you know, which will create an avenue for even better healing. So I think those books... Oh, and I would mention also How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell. That book I read I think early on in the pandemic, and she talks a lot about bird watching and crows, especially eating peanuts and how she had trained them in some ways. I don't know why that comes to mind also probably because we' were, we started this conversation with animals, so perhaps I'll
0: end it with animals too <laughs> amazing. is there anything else that I didn't ask you about that you would like to share? Oh sure recently joined clubhouse and I'm offering a free
1: Thirty-minute meditation every week on Mondays, and it's since it's free and it's so easy to drop in on Clubhouse. That might be a fun thing to try, and to a place to we can get to know each other better. I'll do usually I lead about twenty or twenty-two minutes of of a guided meditation, and then we have a little conversation afterwards. And I'll often mention a bit about the neuroscience behind it, and that sort of because I think it's fun to know how these things work in our brain, so that it might, you know, it might resonate even more and might incline you to practice. What time on Mondays? Eastern 1230 to one.
0: And what is your nickname on there? Oh, it's just Dr. Pooja Amy Shaw, the same as my Instagram. Yeah, perfect. Cool. How are you liking Clubhouse? It's very mixed feelings around the world. I feel
1: that it's mixed too. I feel like I could lose many, many hours on it. And so I think for these types of things where it's, you know, there's, there's a spot of time that somebody's offering something where you get to interact and either talk or listen or follow, I think it can be very useful. I think some of the rooms that are just on and on and on, like those maybe aren't so helpful. So (laughs) I'm mixed, (laughs) but I do love that it's a, it's a vocal platform and it's super easy to jump on and it's super easy to host um, things like meditations on there. So I think that part is really awesome.
0: All right. I'm going to link to that. Let's all check that out. Pooja, thank you so much for doing what you do for spreading the healing in so many expected and unexpected ways. And may you see many more awesome birds outside your apartment.
1: Oh, thanks, Ksenia. And I hope you see lots of awesome birds outside of your tiny cabin as well. Birds, raccoons, deer, all kinds of things. Thank so you. awesome. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, too. Thank you so much for having me. And your audience, if they want to find more information about me, they can always visit my website at com.
0: Perfect. I'm going to link to all of that in the show notes on wokenwired.com. And thank you again, Pooja. I'll see you on Clubhouse, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) I'll see you soon, Ksenia. Thanks so much
1: for this. It was a lot of fun. Bye. Great. Awesome.
0: If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes and share it with a friend who you think could benefit from the message. Find all the show notes and all the resources on wokeandwired.com and say hello on Instagram. Find me at wokeandwired. Stay woke, stay wired, and take three deep breaths right now.